on today's episode of Go Book Yourself, the podcast that helps you master writing, marketing, and publishing one bite at a time. We are going back to the basics, and we'll do that in just a hot second. Tune in to Go Book Yourself, powered by Helix Interactive, with your book coach and publishing expert, Hilary Jastrom. I don't care who you are. When it comes to sharpening your writing, we all need to practice and we all need proven tips to help us get there. And we're gonna go there, just like Chuck Woolery used to say on The Love Connection back in the 70s and 80s. Yes, I'm totally dating myself here, but if you haven't seen him, check it out because it's just unreal. We'll do that in two and two. Mad thanks to our parent company, J Hill Creative, for forever supporting our mission to make writing, publishing, and marketing easier and enjoyable for every author out there. As the slogan goes, we do help authors everywhere get published. If you are ready to write your book, visit jhillcreative.com. That's jhill1lcreative.com. There's a misnomer in the writing world, and that is that the first draft is going to be the finished draft. That if we don't sit down and write absolute perfection, there's something wrong with us. We don't have the chops to be a writer. We'll never be a published author. No one is ever going to read our books because we are no good. All these little voices in our heads, well, these are the ones that I deemed the liar or the liars on a prior episode. We can shut them up if you know how to hone your writing so that you feel confidence in the work that you're putting out into the world. And I, that's the biggest piece of it. You can shut up the liars, the self-doubt, the imposter syndrome. You can shut it all up if you're doing the work. And more importantly, if you are accepting that in the beginning, you're gonna be rusty, man. You are. Pick up a paintbrush and start painting something. Paint an elephant, paint an apple, paint a bird in a tree. That first time that you do it versus the last time, world of difference. Writing is no different. Writing is, yes, it's the act of creation and putting words to the page or the screen, but a huge part of it takes place in your head. It takes place in your mindset to say, I am good enough. I am going to put this out into the world. If you practice improving your writing on a semi-regular basis, you are going to get better. You are going to feel better and you will move forward. So we're going to talk about the different ways that you can improve your writing. Some of you might feel like you're going back in time to your English high school classroom. And if your writing teacher was anything like mine, you won't mind it one bit. Shout out to Mr. Brick. He died prematurely this year and he was the one who said, I'm gonna pass you because I know you know what you're doing. And I was a troubled kid and I couldn't be there and I didn't wanna be there some days and I was dealing with some bigger, larger than life issues, survival issues, money issues, housing issues. And Mr. Brick, said, I know what you're doing and you are gonna go on and you are a good writer. 
So think back to those people in your life who have instilled that in you as you're listening to this episode. And we're going to jump right in. Number one, drop the unneeded words in anything you're writing. Really, very, just. I would expand this to include some adverbs. Uh, more than likely identified with L-Y at the end. Truly, readily. They're not needed. When you use any of the writing applications that we talked about today, be it Spellcheck, be it Grammarly, they will highlight those and they will say you don't need those. It's unnecessary. Those words are gratuitous. Sometimes they are needed just in time. Well, this might describe a situation where you were able to do something by the seat of your pants. Great, just in time works. But for the most part, these words are extraneous and they are also an indicator of being unprofessional. When I say this, I don't mean that I want you to sit down and write and say, I'm never going to use these words when I'm creating my first draft. No, when you're creating your first draft, you're a writer. You're not an editor. So ensure that you're using that part of your brain, your writing brain. I'm a creator right now. Sometimes I put a hat on. It'll say writer or writing addict. I put a hat on and I go, I'm a writer right now. I take that hat off. I might put on my word nerd hat to edit. Those are my anchors that I need to tell me who I am in this moment. Now you're a writer, now you're an editor. Maybe you need a little anchor like that. That's okay. And I'll tell you what. If you've got kids around, these anchors are wonderful because they're a visual reminder to your kid. If you're on your laptop a lot, your kid's probably going, well, I don't know if you're Facebooking. I don't know if you're Instagramming. I don't know what you're doing. So maybe, so sometimes it's okay for me to talk to you when you're on the laptop and sometimes it's not. And I don't know the difference. And I used to get frustrated with my kids and then, and here's a quote for the books, I visited a psychic who told me, use an anchor so your kids can see and get that visual cue. So that's a little tip for you there. But as you're writing, write. Embrace writing. It doesn't matter what comes out of your mouth because you're always going to go back to it later. The writers that have the problems are the ones that either refuse to integrate with their work and their words again and again, which is needed, it's necessary in this journey. The ones that turn out to be those whip-smart writers that captivate you with every single word, they have worked on it. They've made the commitment. And that's what you need to do too. Write, then edit. Read aloud what you've created. And it sounds and it feels a little bit silly, but what it does is it's going to catch you hanging up on things. You'll have a clunky sentence. You'll have an awkward sentence. You'll have a sentence that when you read it aloud in your head, it was like, wow, this is really great. Then you read it aloud and you go, oh, I don't really know what I was saying. Maybe I skipped a step. And I've had authors do that. They'll say, this particular thing and then this thing and I'll go okay well that's great but we needed a step in the middle 
to take us from step one to three, we got to have two in there. Sometimes our thoughts, many, many times our thoughts are fragmented when we put them on paper. And it is a reformatting. It's from the mental reformatting into the actual physical format. Now I'm looking at it. Now it has life of its own. This language is living. It's breathing. What is it saying? Reading aloud helps you in that way to catch those clunky sentences. It also lets you know about what I call lope ability. When I think of loping, I think of a gazelle. I think of a cheetah, a just this sinuous animal springing down the savanna, going and going and going. Nothing is going to stop them. And you want your book to be the same way. You want your reader to lope along. So it's gonna help you as you're reading your book and it's like, oh, this is great and we're moving along. Perfect, and then clunk. Okay, so what do we have to do now? We've got a situation that we have to address. I think reading aloud brings you closer to the reader. That's the experience that they're going to get and it supplies you with a fresh perspective. Third, I advise you to use beta readers. We talked about this in a prior episode. Beta readers are important because they will point out things to you. You know what, Marcy? I really didn't get the gist of what you're trying to say here. I think you meant this. What about if you said it like this? Now, it's important to be kind to your beta readers because our natural instinct is to be defensive and say, wait, wait, wait a minute. I wrote this. I know what I was saying. You just obviously don't understand it. How does that help you? How does being defensive when you're trying to get better help you? We have to drop our defenses. We have to stop assuming somebody is out to get us. There is a reason that they are giving us this information. They're not doing it to be mean. And in fact, we've asked for it. Does it hurt to get critique sometimes? It does. We are the person, we are the gatekeepers of us. And so we don't want to let in information that is going to hurt us. That's our first instinct. I don't want to hear that. We have to stop, even if we just have to pause and go, I'm taking in this information right now and I'm not sure what to do with my reaction. That's okay. Be kind to your beta readers and know that they are there to help you improve as a writer. If you want to improve as a writer, you're going to get feedback from people that cuts. You're going to be bloody. You're going to be crawling on the ground. But you are going to get better. Read these two books. On Writing by Stephen King. Which, to the best of my knowledge, is his only autobiography that he put his seal of approval on. And he only has a bitsy part in the front of the book that is his autobiography of him telling actual moments of his life. And he's advocated, these are okay to share with the world, this is how I want to share it. The second part of the book is where the gold is. The gold is that he will tell you, and he used to teach college, and he will tell you, he used to teach writing, write this way, improve this way, do this thing this way, cut out the flowery writing. 
and see what it, it sounds like. And you might think to yourself, but I am a descriptive person. Descriptive is different than gratuitous or flowery. So read this book on writing by Stephen King. I don't know how many times it's been reprinted. It is one of the best books out there. Every single person that I work with that I've ever said, read this book has come back and said, this book is amazing. If you are a person who has read this book, you and I have something so deeply and soulfully in common in loving this book. The other book is called Writing Down the Bones. It's by Natalie Goldberg. She talks about giving yourself permission to suck. And when I first read it, I thought, and this was a sign to me, probably Mr. Brooks class, because he was awesome like that. This was a sign to me to read. And when I read it, I thought, well, she doesn't know what she's talking about because I write and it's amazing. And it was not. <laughs> I had to go through years and classes and all sorts of integrations to improve. I'm always improving. We're always improving. We're never to the point where we go, that's it, I know it all, I'm done, I'm done learning. I'm done learning, I'm hanging up my pencil. I'm done. It's never like that. Open yourself up to the possibility that when you start something new, you might not be the greatest at it. It's a very high possibility. Of course, there's gonna be some people in the world that are more of the precocious children among us who are highly intelligent, they're prodigies and whatever. I'm not talking to those people right now. I'm talking to people who wanna get into something, who are powered and moved by a passion, wanna learn from it, and who have that talk with themselves and say, I'm, I'm good and I'm safe and I'm going to get better. And when I'm not very good, I'm still gonna hold myself in the highest regard and esteem and respect. That's how I'm approaching my journey. I better step it up or we're gonna be here all day. Show, don't tell, that's my next point. Show, don't tell, what does that mean? Don't say the man was embarrassed. Say, Joe's face was red. He couldn't meet eyes with his teacher. A, a flush crept upon his cheeks. He sweated profusely. Maybe not the profusely. <laughs> He's per perspired like a herd of rhinos in the African sun. I don't know. But you get what my point is that you're going to explain the art of being embarrassed. You're going to explain the act of being embarrassed. What happens to a body? What happens to facial expressions? What happens to body language? What happens if a tree is ablaze in a forest and the orange flames are licking the sky and black smoke is roiling and competing with the clouds overhead? We don't just say the tree is on fire. We explain, we bring people into it. We allow ourselves to wade around in the pool of beautiful language so that our reader goes, man, that is contagious and I'm feeling it and I'm there. You put me on the stage right there. You plucked me up and you put me right in the book and I can see it. This is why we have to be specific when we talk about showing don't, don't tell. Showing not telling rather. If you have a house laid out in a certain way, if you have a pasture or a field or a park or a river or, or an ocean front home or whatever the case is, a rambling estate, 
And it is imperative that your reader understand that. And it should be imperative. More of these explanations and descriptions endear the reader to you, endear the reader to your characters, then they are going to stay with you in the story. Quickly, we'll go over three rules of storytelling enhancements, which is our next item. And I do talk about this. Well, if you work with me, I talk about it ad nauseum. So my authors out there are probably like, let's skip ahead, please. <laughs> but I found them to be great enhancements. And this is what we talk about when it comes to developmental editing, when it comes to developing the story. First is setting the scene. That's a little riff on show, don't tell. Where are we? Who's there? What's at stake? What's the relationship? What's the body language? What are the facial expressions? What's going on? Why does it matter? Set that scene. Lay out the layout. Why do I need to know this? Make sure that you're explaining those details. Number two, dialogue. Dialogue is great to write and not edit. When you write it, you're going to use those verbal nuances. I'm telling you, I'm not saying you might. I'm telling you, you will. You will apply the verbal nuances that you use in your life to dialogue because you'll hear your voice. And that's fine because all of them are going to get pulled out. The ums. The yeah, I mean, the kind of, the well, those types of things that don't get right to the heart of the matter in dialogue. Dialogue is sparse. It is succinct. It is also familiar in the way that we address people. I don't say, husband, please hand me that book on the shelf. I might say, hey, sweetie, will you grab me that novel over there? Whatever. Or that novel on the shelf. So there's also a reason for dialogue. I don't let go the entire plot of the story. And I've used this example before. Well, did you catch the bank robber? Yes, I did. I caught him running down Fifth Avenue in cold, hard cash he had in his in in the bank bags. He was covered in blue ink and the police took him in and they think he's guilty. He's linked to five murders. All of that, if, if all of that is dialogue. I mean, it just gets me so kerfuffled, obviously. But if all of that is dialogue, it's lazy. I'm sorry, I love you, but it's totally lazy. You need to describe things. You need to work on the backstory. You need to bring in details, answer questions. Are there holes in this? Try to break the story. Don't explain in dialogue what you're trying to do. It's pointed. There's a reason for it. It moves the story forward. And our third piece is share your thoughts, thoughts of the character, the thoughts of yourself, if you're writing a nonfiction book. I felt like this. I went up to the stage. I grabbed the microphone. It was fantastic. You know, or I went up to the stage. I grabbed the microphone and my knees were shaking. And I thought, man, I'm not supposed to be here. Thoughts can provide really nice juxtaposition, which we'll get into in just a minute. So provide those thoughts. They're a peek into your confessional. They tap into a timeless emotion of curiosity. That's why gossip is alive and well in the world today. That's why trolls are alive and well on the internet. Because it speaks to a timeless urge inside all humans. I want to know more. I want to know the secret. I want to feel exclusive. I want to feel special. 
I want you to get vulnerable with me because that makes me respond to you. I either say, man, I cannot relate to that at all. Or I go, I'm just like that. I'm like that. Or I've kind of felt like that before. Okay, I get it. So share those thoughts. I learned that when I hired an editor for my novel, Killing Carl, 2Ks, on Amazon right now. Go ahead and grab it. <laughs> but that's when I learned it. I learned it the hard way. I learned it by my editor saying, no, this doesn't work. You're doing too much with this dialogue. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Show me, don't tell me, show me. What are the thoughts? Create dimension is our next point. I talk about dimension, I mean making a person a whole 3D human being. We are creating dimension within them. They're not just angry all the time. They're not just a bad guy who's angry all the time. And we don't provide a reason why he feels this way, why he acts this way, why he goes out and burns buildings down. We're not just the guy who leapt into entrepreneurship because business was something we were really good at. We are creating dimension. There were times that you felt doubt. There were times you made a mistake and you had to come back with your tail between your legs and you had to make things right. There were times no apology would be accepted and you had to create your own closure. There were times of immense pain and you didn't know what to do. Maybe you had a life or death situation. This is the problem with always showing the highlight reel of our life on social media is we lose that dimension. And you'll note when you witness somebody just throwing that highlight reel out there, they're not believable. And you don't really want to follow them. You don't want to have a lot to do with them. And that's because they're not real. They haven't made themselves real. And your story is questing for the very same thing. Make the character believable. Why is he killing? Why is he doing that? Why is she staying with that man who treats her horribly? What is her payoff? What's at stake? Think about the emotions that we feel. Shame is a huge one. Tap into shame in a character and goodbye. That is going to become a reader darling because we relate. Something we don't want to talk about a lot. But go ahead. Read it in a book then I will relive my own experiences through a character. Next, make it believable. The resolution of a problem cannot be too convenient. Well, I want it to be. I'm gonna do this, I made this thing up. No. Your reader is not going to continue to go along the journey with you. They'll stop and they'll say, well, anybody could have done that. It's not clever enough. Think of the movies that you don't respect, the ones that you go, oh, well, they needed this particular invention and so the guy happened to create it out of a hairpin, bubble gum, and a paperclip. And then it got them out of that alternative dimension and you go, ah, I'm not buying it. You gotta make it believable. It has to make sense. This is where diagramming can come in very well too. 
I created, I responded in this way with this character based on what happened before. So they responded in this way. So this makes sense now. It makes sense because it's relatable. It's realistic. Make your solutions realistic, no matter what they are. Unless it's truly, you know, an Elon Musk kind of story and he rides a giant, never mind, into space. <laughs> like, we can't make those things up. But if you're writing fiction, don't make it too convenient. Write for the reader first. Reader-centric. It's very important. It's critical. That's why you're writing. You're writing because you think, well, gosh, I'm going to put this out to a greater audience than me. I want somebody to read it and feel moved by it and love it and interact with it and take it for a twirl around the ballroom floor. You are writing for that reader. You do get that little nugget, that little warm heart-shaped nugget inside you that glows like a coal that makes you feel so good that you shared something of yourself and that people potentially are going to love it. That feels amazing. It is not the reason you write the book. If it is the reason you write the book, you're leading with ego and you will be shut down very quickly by the reader who is looking for the validation. You made this for me. It's a love letter to them. How special. So don't taint the love letter. Read. This is a very crucial part of being a writer. It's our next box on the list. We got to check. Read. If you're a writer, it's your duty. I used to work on my book, Killing Carl. And I would say to myself, you're not going to read anybody else's work at this time because their words are going to come out of your mouth. So I was kind of worried about that. Well, that is not the case. That's not how it's going to go. I'm not going to, in its entirety, pick up another author's style and deposit it into my book. I am a different person. I have a different education. I have different experiences. I have different ways that I express myself in speaking as well that all play into this, how I want it to sound. So reading another author's works for me just lubes up my brain. It says, here's a word you hadn't thought about in a while. Here's a different way to describe something. It's a different way to interact with this object or person. It's a source of inspiration. It's not a source of plagiarism. It's not a source of being a copycat. It's a source of inspiration. I didn't think about it that way. When I took an art class, they had us take an everyday object and flip it around into a way that you would not view it normally. So I took a pencil sharpener that was in the shape of a slot machine and I turned it around. We did all sorts of things with a viewfinder. You'd make a viewfinder with your hands or you would make one through paper, but you would just cut a little hole on this piece of paper and move the hole around as you're looking at the object to zone in on various aspects of it. And then you would use those aspects and create whatever you were painting. We happen to be doing painting. 
And it was really interesting because I started looking at the object as a whole. And by the time I was done, you could not recognize the final drawing because we had to make multiple drawings of this object. The final drawing turned it into something that could not be recognized. Somebody would look at it and go, this is a piece of abstract art because I had zoomed in so far because I had changed the shadowing and the colors and things of that nature. And it was a whole different way of looking at it. And I liken that to reading. How is this person seeing the world? It's also delightful when you find yourself in the middle of a smorgasbord stew. Oh, it's delicious. I love it. I could just lay around in here like I'm in a big stew hot tub. It's fantastic. Ladle on some more potatoes and carrots, please. Wonderful. Just wonderful. Very inspiring. Do crosswords and other word games. That's a word game tip from me to you. Crosswords especially make you plumb the depths of your mind to find that particular word. They force you to shake off the cobwebs, those mental cobwebs that can block thoughts. I feel like they encourage those brain synapses to pop into place again, to connect again. Our brains become electric and alive. We're educating ourselves. Oh yeah, I forgot about this word that it existed. So many times we're focused on get that content out, get that content out. We kind of refill the hold, the bucket that holds everything in our mind. We can't just use all the content and go, oh man, I don't even know what to say now. All my good words are gone. So you have to refill that. And there's different ways, reading, doing a crossword puzzle. Walk away. It's a big one. Make sure that you walk away for your strategic break. It is needed when you work in the arts. Whatever those happen to be, it gives you perspective. You're forcing yourself and forcing yourself. I have to see it differently. I can't see it differently. Why can't I read it differently? Why can't I understand what this person is saying? It's an awkward sentence. I don't see it. Step away from it. Just do it so that you can let your shoulders down from your ears. Do it so you can affect a different tone in your voice. It's quiet. It's peaceful. I'm making my own peace right now. Step away without guilt, might I add. Work in the time that's needed to step away because it is a critical factor to create perspective as much as possible. This is why I pull in a proofer when I'm done with all the books. Every single book, pull in a proofer. This person has fresh perspective. They can see things that my brain is trying to make sense of. My brain is saying, I want to make sense of this. There's an issue with it. So I'm going to put this here. I'm going to put this letter in this word that doesn't exist. I'm going to put this period at the end of the sentence that doesn't exist. So my brain says, if I do that, that's correct. And it's also like, if you've got a word on the tip of your tongue or a song on the tip of your tongue, or if you're like my husband and I, and we just, who sang that? Who was in that movie? Who did this? And you can't find the answer, the harder you work at it. The harder you work at it, the harder it becomes. You cannot find the answer. So you have to step away, go do the dishes, go take the dog outside. 
go cook some dinner, whatever the case is, you got to step away. And then all of a sudden, bloop, it'll just pop right up, just fling, just right up. Because you haven't been working on it, your subconscious knows, hey, you want the answer. Chill out, man, and I'll give it to you. That's all you gotta do is chill out. Suck and be okay with it. I'm gonna say it again. Accept and understand the process of polish and improvement. Speak more. Go on podcasts, narrate a book. Back in the day, this was the early 90s, I went to broadcasting school because I wanted to be a news anchor. And then I could no longer work at the news stations that I worked at. I worked at two biggies in Minneapolis. Oh, everything was sad every single day. Oh my goodness. It was just too much. One day I sat down and cried about all the unknown accident victims. But while we were working on learning voice modulation, while we were working on, on learning tone and things of that nature, I used to call my answering machine and I would read my homework. And my homework might be I had to read a commercial or I had to do some show notes or something like that. And I would leave myself messages. Later, I graduated then into calling my phone, leaving a voicemail, you know, practice on video. But you can just rip the bandaid off and just start talking. The more that you talk, the more that you are going to write, the more you'll feel comfortable with expressing yourself because all of the ways that we express ourselves are related. So we need to understand that. We need to respect it. We need to practice it. Get punchy. What do I mean by that? Break up your paragraphs when you're writing. Again, we'll say this in editing get punchy. So I might have a one sentence paragraph. Super duper. It's an easy to digest nugget for the reader before they launch into a longer paragraph. Juxtaposition, I told you we'd come to this. Juxtaposition I love. It's surprising. It's a surprising interaction, hard to soft rough to smooth, things that you wouldn't expect to be related to each other when we can write about them in this way, then people remember them. Oh, that's surprising. Sour to sweet, that's surprising, I'm gonna remember that. Our brain is always looking for ways to relate particular things, particular, I guess we'll call them characteristics in this case. So when you introduce an unexpected characteristic or trait, then the brain goes, oh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, what just happened here? I heard something that was unexpected. It was a surprise. Much easier to be memorable when you use juxtaposition. Start your sentences differently. I learned this in high school English. Start them differently. Not I went to the store, I bought peanut butter, I brought it home. You're going to say, I went to the store to buy some peanut butter. While I was there, I saw it on the shelf. It was on sale. So I got some for my mom who loves peanut butter. Ever since she had her gum surgery, she can't eat anything else. You get what I'm saying? It. You need to make sure you're starting your sentences differently. Along that same vein, vary your sentence length. Some people like to have super long sentences, maybe verging on a run-on sentence. 
Well, if that's great, if that's how you speak and you want to bring in everything, but every once in a while, you got to have a three word or a four word sentence, just pop it in there because it gives your reader a break, but it also makes your writing a little bit more alive. It electrifies it a little bit. It does make it more memorable. It does make it easier to ingest. And finally, if you can help it, don't use a thesaurus. I know that seems like, well, I want to learn more words. I want to learn more possibilities. As nerdy birdie as this sounds, do it in your free time. If you're searching for a word, as Stephen King once said, in the thesaurus, you will likely not pick the right word because you're looking just to plug in a similar word to defeat that redundancy. You don't want that redundancy. You said it before, don't say it like this again, say it this way. In some cases, that's gonna work for you. Go to that resource, go to the dictionary, that's great. The point being that even words that are deemed to be similar are not identical. So you might use a word where you lose the context of what you're saying because you chose that particular word. In cases like this, where it's redundant and I need to change something somewhere, I'm not always going to take that second instance of the word and say, well, that one gets cut no matter what. And I got to just throw something else in here. I'm going to look at the redundancy as a whole. How many times has this word been repeated or we're saying it in a similar way? Where does it make the most sense? In this entire episode, this entire redundant bubble that contains three similar words or three identical words, where does it make sense to cut it? Maybe you don't need to even have one of those instances. And so instead of searching that thesaurus, then what you would do is you would cut. Again, it's an editing thing. So again, more tools for you to help you improve, to help you look at your words and your work a little bit more differently. I want you to know as we wind up this episode, you can do it. If you have the fire inside you to create, to share your world through the special craft of interweaving words like tapestry, do it. It doesn't matter how you start. The order can be adjusted later. Just start. These tips can help you. And I want to remind you, if you're ready to speak one-on-one, -on -one, to put your words to paper or the screen, please reach out to me at jhillcreative.com, jhill1lcreative.com. Now, isn't it time to go book yourself? You know where to go. I want to thank you so much for listening today. Until next time, authors, right on. Mm -hmm.